appreciate your presence tonight. And before we begin in the lesson, I just want to say how much I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you this week. Some of you have been here each service, and you are to be commended for that. Marvelous indeed. So much work has gone into the preparation for this meeting, and I commend you ladies for the wonderful food from Sunday morning after worship service or after the services there and every evening thereon. It's been wonderful. Really enjoyed that, only to be exceeded by the wonderful fellowship that we have enjoyed together. But I appreciate being here, and I hope and pray that you have benefited, as I have certainly, from these lessons that have presented in the last few days. Good to see you tonight. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off with Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and Lazarus evil things. And now he is comforted, and thou art in torment. And beside all this, there's a great gulf that sticks between us and you, that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they come unto us that would pass from thence. And he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, Oh, I pray thee, Father, nay, uh, if one would come unto them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You're familiar with that. Luke 16, 19 through 31. Someone comes along and says, Well, that's just a parable. Friend, if that has some force of objection, I fail to see it. Parable? Para, alongside or beside of. Balo, to cast or throw. Para, balo, parable, to throw down beside of. The purpose is to point out analogies or likenesses. We've probably heard the expression that a parable is an earthly story with a uh, heavenly meaning. But friends, I don't believe Luke 16, 19 through 31 was a parable. Several reasons why, just briefly one or two. The Lord called the name Lazarus. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, and that's unusual in parables, not usually that specific with reference to particular identification in parables. He also, of course, called the name Abraham. Generally not that specific. But what really convinces me it isn't a parable, which if it were, that's fine. I mean, it doesn't make any difference with regard to the teaching. But a parable, friends, chosen by the Lord was always a very familiar scene. That is something with which his listeners were very familiar, which they understood in its intricacies, in its details. 
Otherwise, it would be impossible for him to point out spiritual principles based on these things that they understood quite well. If Luke 16, 19 through 31 was a parable, who understood what he was talking about? As a matter of fact, you don't read that anywhere else in Scripture. It's the only time the Lord ever lifted the veil just beyond physical death to give humanity a glimpse of that what, what lies immediately beyond bliss and punishment. Have you ever wondered about those that have gone on before us, their state, their lot? Just as surely as you read the New Testament, with any degree of interest or sincerity, this question is going to arise. Now, some may not think it's important. I know it's not a primary importance. We live our life in harmony with the Lord's will. He'll take care of us. We don't have to be concerned about what lies beyond. That is prepared by the Lord Jesus Christ to the, for to those who faithfully follow him. And yet, it's an intriguing question. And the Bible does address itself to the subject. So I thought it would be good tonight. If we look at what the Bible has to say on the subject, where are the dead? Before we begin to understand, we need to, of course, know the makeup of man. Man, of course, is a, a duo being, that is, twofold. Now, you're familiar with that fact. In Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man to the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But the classic example is actually in a verse I presented last night just briefly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, beginning through chapter 5, verse 1. You know, chapter breaks are man-made. I never understood why that chapter break is right here, because it finishes the thought in chapter 5, verse 1. But Paul said, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for this light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, of course, are eternal. For we know that if this earthly house of our tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is saying that man, in fact, is a twofold being. An outward, physical, limited, temporary being. And an inward, spiritual, immortal soul. It's interesting that James used this fact as an illustration relative to effective working faith. In James chapter 2, verse 26, when he says the body without the spirit is dead. You know where read that the spirit without the body is dead, for it isn't. But the body without the spirit is dead. Maybe a definition of life and death would be advantageous at this point. Now, someone comes along and says, wait just a minute. I mean, wise men through the ages have tried to define life and have been unable to do so adequately. Really? You see, you have to start from the right premise. Here we go. Life, conscious existence in covenant relationship with God. Death, conscious existence out of covenant 
relationship with God. Somebody says, wait a minute, you use the term conscious existence in, in both definitions. That's right. You see, you're made in his image and likeness. You're made in his image and likeness as immortal creatures, your rational, intelligent reasoning, able to act upon our own volition, based upon the evidence and testimony assessed, reaching those conclusions. Each person is independent in his or her own conduct, like God. Like God. We pointed out last night that God's a spirit, John 4, 24. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you and I, Luke 24, verse 39. Oh, but... Conscious existence in covenant relationship with God. That's life. That's life. We have recorded three separate accounts of Jesus raising the dead. The son of the widow of Nain, the daughter of Jairus, of course, or Jairus, and Lazarus in John chapter 11. Regarding the latter there, do you recall Martha's running out to meet the Lord on the perimeter of Bethany? Her brother Lazarus had been dead four days. Now when the Lord heard of it, he stayed where he was two days. He delayed his journey. And when he arrived there on the village of Bethany, his, her, uh, her brother had been dead four days. Now, it's interesting here. In John chapter 11, verse 21 through 24, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou would ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know, Lord, he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Now listen to it. Listen to what the Lord is about to say, and keep in mind, he never said anything by accident. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Not have been in the past or will be sometime in the future. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he that believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Talking to Martha. She really didn't understand. She really didn't fully comprehend what he was saying. Oh, she fully, she certainly acknowledged the fact that he was the only begotten son of God, but she really didn't comprehend what he was talking about. Lord, are you telling me here that if I have enough faith, I never have to die physically? That's not what he said. He didn't even allude to such a thing. Everything passes physically. Everything dies physically, flora and fauna. You see, flesh and blood cannot inherit eternal life. There must be a transition that takes place. You remember the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Ephesians 2, 1, and you he hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In Mark chapter 12, verse 18, you recall the Sadducees. They did not believe in of course, spirit beings or angels or the resurrection from the dead. And they built a hypothetical case with the intent on ensnaring the Lord. They said there were seven brethren among us. The first took a wife and deceased, leaving no seed. Now, Moses tells us that when such occurs, the brother next in line, chronologically that is, would take his wife and raise up seed to his brother, and so they did. 
but the second one to cease, leaving no seed, and the third, and so forth, on through the seventh. And last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall she be, since they all had her as a wife? Now, I want you to hear this. Jesus said, Ye therefore do greatly err in not knowing the Scripture or the power of God. Friends, that's the basis of all error. That's the basis of all ignorance. And ignorance is not a slanderous term. It simply means lack of knowledge. You see, the only sum of knowledge relative to spiritual things is written. We've talked about this, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All Scripture, every Scripture, is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, destruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus said, Ye do greatly err in not knowing the scriptures of the power of God. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels. Now somebody comes along and says, Will the redeemed be angels in heaven? No, no. No, no. You see, angels are created beings. The redeemed will be those cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But with regard to the conjugal relationship, that is, arrangement of matrimony, that won't be needed. You see, that's for this old world. That won't be needed in heaven. In that sense, they'll be as angels. Now, let's continue. Let's continue with what the Lord had to say in Mark chapter 12, verse 26, 27. And as touching the dead that they raise, have you not read in the book of Moses? Now, stop right there just for a second. He's making reference, of course, to the book of Exodus. In particularly, specifically, the third chapter, of course. But he's making reference to the book of Exodus. Now, and as touching the dead that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. What you say, Lord? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Well, somebody says, now wait a minute, Lord, when you spoke to Moses through your angel in that burning bush, Abraham had been dead 329 years. Isaac had been dead 224 years. Jacob had been dead 198 years. And after all those centuries, the Lord says, I am the God not of the dead but of the living. How can that be? Listen to the truth. Listen to what the Lord had to say. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are as alive today as when they walked the earth. In the flesh? Why, of course not. Their bodies had been moldering in a cave at the end of a field called Machpelah, which Abraham bought from Ephraim the Hittite, you remember, a place to bury his beloved Sarah. He bought it for 400 pieces of silver. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You recall the statement, Luke 23, verse 43. We touched on this Sunday morning when we talked about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But Christ was crucified, of course, between the two thieves. And, of course, they both railed on him. Obviously, Luke's account 
tells us that one of them repented. He reprimanded the other thief for his negative attitude towards the Lord. But he made this request. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And of course, with all the the suffering that Jesus was going through on the cross, he made this statement today. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. How comforting those words must have been to that dying thief. And yet, three days later, if you advance to John chapter 20, verse 17, you observe, you observe the Lord three days later saying to Mary Magdalene, touch me not, don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Wait a minute, Lord. Three days ago you said to that dying thief, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's right. Three days later and you haven't gone to heaven yet? That's correct. Well, someone says, here's a contradiction. Hold it. The contradiction here exists only in the human mind, and it deals with definition. Definition of the word paradise. Contentment. Joy. Happiness. Peace. Comfort. Oh, that certainly is, you know, that's certainly the meaning of paradise, isn't it? Well, someone says, doesn't that apply to heaven? It sure does. That would be an adequate description of heaven. Oh, but the Lord hadn't gone to heaven yet. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Hold that thought. We'll come back to that in just a moment. What happens to the soul at physical death? Genesis 35, you recall Jacob on his way to Padanaram to rejoin his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. They were coming toward the village of Ephrath, later called Bethlehem. And the records, and they had some distance to go. And the record said that Rachel went into hard labor. Verse 18 tells us, And it came to pass as her soul was departing, she called his name Benoni, son of my sorrow. Jacob called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Now listen to the passage. And it came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died. That's what happens when physical death occurs. The immortal nature, the soul, the spirit leaves the body. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. When Jesus died upon the cross... Crowd with a loud voice yielded up his spirit. What happened? He's dead. You remember Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Christ down. There was a little time before the Sabbath began at six that evening, and he placed it in Joseph's new tomb, which was near at hand. He's dead. Where's Christ? Someone says he's in the tomb. We understand that terminology, do we not? But he isn't. His body's in the tomb. You see, he's dead. Now, there's some false teachers that would tell you that, well, he just swooned and regained consciousness and in the tomb and moved a stone that would, that would you know, take about six men to move and in that wounded, weakened condition. And, you know, he whipped four Roman soldiers on the way out, guarding the tomb, armed to the teeth, and he walked out of there a free man. Oh, he could have done that and more. But that didn't happen. It didn't happen that way. You see, he died. Where'd he go? What'd he tell that thief? 
this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. You see, they both died that day. They both went to Hades, the realm or receptacle for departed souls. Solomon very graphically describes the gradual decline, the ultimate demise of the physical man. In Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 7, and in that seventh verse, what did he say? He said, the spirit returns to God who gave it. What else? The body returns to the dust as it was. You mean the person I love is in that tomb? No. You see, the, per- the reason they mess- make some disposition of the dead body is because the person I love has moved out of it. They took the body of Christ down from the cross, placed it in the tomb. Where's Christ? He's where he said he'd be with that thief in paradise. And you see, it's interesting that both the righteous and the wicked die. Got to go somewhere. Where do you go? You go to the receptacle God has prepared called Hades. In Hades, there's a compartment known as Tartarus, 2 Peter 2.4. In Luke 16, that's where the rich man was in the flame. And it should be observed, friends, that the rich man went to a place of torment, not a state of torment. You see, his body was buried, but in Hades he was suffering torment, so Hades is an actual place. And then also there's a compartment known as Abraham's bosom, as we read about Luke 16, 19 through 31. A place of comfort, a place of security. Oh, a Greek would call that paradise. In Hades, the intermediate state, there's a place for the righteous, a place for the wicked, because both die. Well, somebody says now, will the body and the spirit ever be reunited? Let's listen to what the Lord says and make some assessments, starting with Matthew 10, 28. He said, Fear not them which kill the body, they are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, beginning. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even to them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Hold it, Paul. Something's got to happen here. Flesh and blood cannot inherit inherit eternal life. That's correct. He addresses that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, beginning. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. You see, the only thing in that old tomb is the dead body. You remember John chapter 5, 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. Someone says, when the resurrection occurs, 
And all that are in the tombs, both good and bad, shall hear his voice and come forth. And we know that all will. For as in Adam all die, so also in Jesus Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. You mean every human being that's ever lived and died will be raised both good and bad? That's correct. Well, someone says that's not possible. I mean, some have been cremated. Some have been buried at sea. And the fishes and the elements... Friend, if I can reconstruct in my feeble, limited, finite mind those that have gone on before us, my dear friends, my loved ones, you need entertain no doubt that the hour cometh and that all that are dead shall hear His voice and come forth, both good and bad. Somebody says, yes, but what will we look like? I'll have to let Paul handle that one too. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, beginning. He said, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, thou that which sowest not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of weed or some other grain, but God giveth it a body, has pleased him. And to every seed his own body. Now, this is interesting here. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's a one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There's also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. What's he talking about? Let's stop here for an illustration. I know some of you farm or have probably farmed in the past or grew up on a farm like I did. You're familiar with row cropping and some of you I know uh, you know know how to do this a whole lot better than I ever did, but you subsoil, you, you know, you plow that field and in the spring you turn that soil again and I used to watch that happening on the farm I grew up in and I was just enamored with it and loved it. But you fertilize it and you go along and you plant your corn. A week and a half, maybe two weeks, you go give it the right kind of weather condition and you go out and look at it. Don't go across the furrow. You may not see much. Go to the end of the row. And they're peeping out of the ground. Straight as an arrow if you can lay them off that way. Let me ask you something. Does that little shoot coming out of the ground look anything like the seed you planted in the earth? No. But it is, isn't it? That's his point. To each seed a body of its own. Now listen to Paul as he continues in verse 42, 1 Corinthians 15. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Notice I emphasize that little word, it. You see, the same it that is planted is the it that is raised. What will we look like? John said we are the children of God. It hath not yet been made manifest what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall see him as he is. We'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
Like Christ? Yes. A spiritual body? Indeed. Being raised with a body equipped for eternity. Friends, let me tell you something about the spirit. You see, we're very limited, very weak in the flesh. But once you and I put off this earthbound perfection, you see, made in the image and likeness of God, what comes out of that tomb at the shout of the Lord will be suited for perfect bliss or perfect punishment. There'll be no limitations. That which is made in the image and likeness of God has no flaws. It's absolute perfection. And when you think about perfect punishment in hell, I'd much rather entertain the thought, the concept of perfect bliss in heaven. But you will be perfect. Just one more thought. We'll close this lesson. Someone says in heaven will we know one another. There's no question about it, friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if we didn't know one another, we might as well be someone else. I mean, the Bible most certainly alludes to Luke chapter 16, as we mentioned, with the rich man and Abraham and Lazarus. Identification there. You remember the transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. Peter knew both of them. Never seen them before. 1,500 years later, and Moses appears in another body. Total recognition. You're going to be you, and I'm going to be me. Someone says, well, that couldn't be. There's just no way. Total misunderstanding. What was it you said, Lord? You therefore do greatly err in not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. You see, we don't go to heaven as mothers and fathers and sons and daughters. We go to heaven as the children of God. And you see, part of the bliss and perfection of heaven is that we are like Christ. There'll be no sorrow in heaven, no suffering, no, no frailties, no sickness, no growing old, no sin, no night, and we'll live forever. You're not a body possessing a soul. You're an immortal soul possessing a very temporary body. You and I are immortal creatures. Creatures are going to live forever. There's a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. Friends, everyone in this room will stand before God in judgment. Friend, the faithful child of God need not be worrisome about physical death. If there's one thing you take from this lesson tonight... The Lord left that beautiful heavenly home above, came to the sinful world, walked this dusty street, share the load with a common man to die in my stead, bearing my sins to redeem my soul, that I might live with him in, some that, in that beautiful celestial home someday. Why would he do that? So he may bring to naught the one that had the power of death, that is the devil, that he may deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. I need to simply remember what he said. I'll never leave thee. Neither will I in any wise forsake thee. I remember Paul said, this is the last verse I'll give you tonight. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 4, verse 16, beginning. He says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we that are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Marvelous indeed. Friend, you need to respond to the Lord's invitation tonight. If you're not a child of God, you don't need to leave here in that condition. And you don't have to. He has made the steps of salvation, the conditions, so very simple. If you believe that He's the Son of God, 
willing to repent of your sins, to confess his name before men, following his instruction, be buried with him in that watery grave of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're here tonight and you've once done that, you desire the prayers of the church, let us pray with you and for you. Friend, if we can assist you in any way, let it be known. That's together we stand and sing.